Blog Talk Radio. Now let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson of history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives no choice between peace and war, only between fight or surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum. And what then? When Nikita Khrushchev has told his people, he knows what our answer will be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of the Cold War, and someday, when the time comes to deliver the final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary, because by that time, we will have been weakened from within spiritually, morally, and economically. He believes this because from our side he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price, or better rev than death, or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war, because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shockers around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material compensations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. He said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Uh, colleagues, what if our foreign policy of the past century is deeply flawed and has not served our national security interests? What if we wake up one day and realize that the terrorist threat is a predictable consequence of our in the affairs of others and has nothing to do with us being free and prosperous? What if propping up repressive regimes in the Middle East endangers both the United States and Israel? What if occupying countries like Iraq and Afghanistan and bombing Pakistan is directly related to the hatred directed toward us? What if someday it dawns on us that losing over 5,000 American military personnel in the Middle East since 9-11 is not a fair trade-off for the lottery 3,000 American citizens, no matter how many Iraqi, Pakistani, and Afghan people are killed or displaced. What if we finally decide that torture, even if called enhanced interrogation technique, is self-destructive and produces no useful information, and that contracting it out to a third world nation is just as evil? 
What if it is finally realized that war and military spending is always destructive to the economy? What if all wartime spending is paid for through the deceitful and evil process of inflating and borrowing? What if we finally see that wartime conditions always undermine personal liberty? What if conservatives wake up and realize that our interventionist foreign policy provides the greatest incentive to expand the government? What if conservatives understood once again that their only logical position is to reject military intervention and in managing an empire throughout the world? What if the American people woke up and understood that the official reasons for going to war are almost always based on lies and promoted by war propaganda in order to serve special interests? What if we as a nation came to realize that the quest for empire eventually destroys all great nations? What if Obama has no intention of leaving Iraq? What if a military draft is being planned for for the wars that will spread if our foreign policy is not changed? What if the American people learn the truth, that our foreign policy has nothing to do with national security, that it never changes from one administration to the next? What if war and preparation for war is a racket serving the special interests? What if President Obama is completely wrong about Afghanistan and turns out worse than Iraq and Vietnam put together? Podcasting here, understanding the times in which we live today. It's about uh, 8:06 p.m. here in Greensboro, North Carolina. We're broadcasting worldwide here, connected through several different other uh, internet platforms: iHeartRadio, Spreaker, uh, PodChaser, and uh, I think I got got it on Twitter now too. Live, so we have a special guest here tonight. Uh, he's returned. And he's going to have a special message here tonight to preach. Uh, he was here on Easter. Usually comes back every Easter and preaches a, a Easter message, I guess you could say, if that's what you want to call it. But it, was, it wasn't a good Friday. It was a bad Friday, like he said uh, a couple weeks ago when he was on here. So his name is Dr. Peter Ventura, and he's calling in from the state of Connecticut tonight. I'm going to patch him through right now and give him the floor. All right, Dr. Peter Ventura, welcome to the podcast here. Good evening, and uh, thank you, uh, Joe. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Doing okay. I have a, I have. This is a, probably one of the most difficult subjects to teach on in the Bible, and uh, I'm going to try and do the best I can to bring this forth. It's uh, really some strong meat, and most people uh, don't don't have a concept about angels, and you know they they think that angels are. Uh, people floating around with wings and, you know, and they think the devil's some guy with a little red tail and a pitchfork and, and, and that's not so. And so tonight, uh, uh, you know, the topic is uh, Satan's no angel and because technically he's not, uh, I have with me tonight to open this up in a prayer. Uh, if this is okay, if I have that Liberty, 
uh, Brother Gio with me. And Brother Gio is going to open this up in prayer, and then I'm going to take it to the scriptures, brother. Oh, you got him on a line there with you? You got him on a line there with you, or do I got to patch him through on another line? No, I have him here with me, sir. Okay. All right. Go ahead. The floor is yours. All right. Thank you. Yep. Father God, I come to you right now in Jesus' name, and I present to you Pastor Peter Ventura. I ask you, Father, that you give him the grace, the understanding, and the wisdom to bring this message, bring this teaching tonight, Father, to the listeners uh, who are listening. I ask you that you use him in a mighty way, that you will remove him, that you will replace his, uh, his wisdom with your wisdom, Father God that you will give them the utterance to uh, be able to bring forth this message. This is a difficult uh, topic, as he said, Father, and I just ask you that you will uh, touch his tongue, touch his heart, touch his mind right now, Father God, and that he will reach uh, the listeners in a mighty way, Father. And we just praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, you know, one of us in this lesson here uh, this evening, uh, I'm referring to your tuned in tonight and you have your Bible with you, and, uh, you know, we're talking about when we say Bible, we mean the King James Bible, uh, the authorized version, uh, otherwise you'll get lost because you'll find that there's things missing in other Bibles, but in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 is where I'd like to pick up and start uh, this lesson. And uh, tonight I, I'm going to show you that Satan is not an angel, he is actually a cherub. Is a cherub, and uh, you may say, "Oh well, you know he's a fallen angel." No, he's a cherub, and that's biblical. We're going to stay in the book, and and we're going to follow that through. Okay, but the but the basis of the scripture is, and this is where many many Christians have uh, got off track and they've uh, uh, lost their way with this subject. And it's a difficult subject because it goes back into prophecy. It goes back to Ezekiel, and it goes back to the vision, and it goes back to when Ezekiel's talking about the king of Tyrus. And we'll get there. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 15 says, Paul was warning the church about uh, satanic ministers and people who were uh, not of God, and, and, and they were uh, apostate and and so the apostle says in verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel. He said, no marvel. It's not a marvel. He says, and no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He's transformed into an angel of light. It didn't say uh, 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 that he, he, he became... And, you know, an angel of light, it says he's transformed into an angel of light. And so the first thing we need to know is what is an angel? What is an angel? Does an angel have wings? Uh, We know he's a messenger of God, an angel. And so let's take it from the scriptures. Uh, We'll go down to uh, Genesis chapter 18. Let's go to the beginning. You know, God said he wrote the uh, end from the beginning. And if you want to know the end, you go to the beginning, well, how did it start in the beginning? Uh, you know, it was that new heaven and earth. And so shall there be in the end. But over in Genesis chapter 18, we'll find something interesting. Uh, Abraham, who's out on the plain of Mamre, and, it, and the scripture says, And the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, 
appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. So there's Abraham. He's on the plain of Mamre. He's sitting there in the tent door, and the Lord appears to him. And how does he appear? Verse 2 says, and he, Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Okay, so here's, here's Abraham, and he's sitting there, and he's in the tent in Mamre, and he says, The Lord meets him. He sees three men appearing. Now, as we study that lesson, you, you find out that those three men go down to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, but one stays behind with Abraham. Now look at verse uh, 16 of the same chapter, Genesis 18, 16 says, and the men rose. Remember, there were three men. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I'm going to do? You see? And so, uh, we see that those guys are going to go down there and they're going to head down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we are going to find out that what really happens is that in verses, look at verse 18. Uh, verse 18 says, seeing that Abraham fulfilled and become a great and mighty nation. He's talking about Abraham there. And then you get down to uh, chapter uh, 18. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood, okay, uh, yet before the Lord. All right? So what you find out as you're reading this is that uh, these men, they get down there, but they're angels. Okay? They're angels. And the, and the two angels. And so... Uh, verse 16 said, if you back up, that when it says the men arose, remember, he sees three men on the plains of Mamre, and they go and they head on down. Okay. And so they get down to, uh, if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you look at chapter 19, verse 1, I'm going to show you who these two men are. See? And it came, and there came two angels to Sodom at even. You see? And so those men, they were angels, and angels appear as men. All right? Three, three people showed up, the Lord and who else? The two men. And then when you get that they go down there and they go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, they're going down, those two angels, the Lord stays there with them. Now, by the way, a lot of people don't understand that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And in theological terms, it is called a theophany, a theophany. Three men come. One of them's uh, uh, the pre-incarnated Christ, and the other two are angels. And the angels are dressed as men. They are men. So let's go over to Judges uh, for a second in the book of Judges. And when we get over to the book of Judges, you're going to see something also about angels appearing as men. All right, and Judges, if you have your Bibles open, it'll be Judges chapter 13. And, I, and I'm not going to, I can't race through this. This is one of the most difficult subjects that I, that I have ever taught on. And, you know, it, there's a simpler way to teach it, but I want you to get the full description of it. 
Because when I take you to show you where Satan is a cherub and what a cherub looks like, see, he appears as an angel of light. That's what we read in Corinthians. Well, we have to know how does an angel appear? Does, does he appear with a bunch of wings? Well, so far we found out they appear as men. All right? And in Judges chapter 13, you get down to verse 21, and the angel of the Lord, that's, that's the pre-incarnate Christ, did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord, and Manoah said unto his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. All right? And then uh, you get over to chapter 13, uh, back up to verses 6 to 11. See, the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told his name. Okay? So here, here's another appearance of an angel who appears as a man. So with one verse, here's the logic to it as far as angels go. And you're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse number 2. Hebrews 13, 2 says this. The apostle Paul, and this is a warning to all of us Christians, and, and we need to listen to this. Scripture says in 13, 2, be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Let me read that to you one more time. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now let me tell you, let, let me say this. If you and I were sitting in a restaurant and, and an angel walked in with wings, well, we'd certainly know it was an angel, wouldn't we? We say, hey, hey, look at this is something special. This is this is something spiritual. Well, 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 Paul says that people have entertained angels unaware. They didn't even know the person was an angel. Why? Because an angel always appears as a man. The only place where you find a uh, a, a person flying around with wings is in Zechariah five five through nine, and it's the women, and they have these figs, and the figs are bad. And they're bad things, and it was an evil thing. Okay? And so angels always appear as men. And that's why he said in Corinthians, in Second Corinthians, if you, if you, you remember our text, we started out there. And we went to Second Corinthians chapter 11. Paul warned us. Okay? And Paul said that it was no marvel, no marvel, because Satan himself appeared as an angel of light. Well, how does he appear as an angel of light? Well, we know during the tribulation that he's, the Antichrist appears as a man, and then the man of sin is taken out of the way, and then Antichrist himself, Satan himself, takes over that body. You know, the mystery of godliness in 2 Timothy, or in Titus 3.16, says that the, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. That's the mystery of, of godliness. But Thessalonians talks about the mystery of iniquity. And in the mystery of iniquity, it's Satan manifested in the flesh. So the question is, let's not, that's what an angel is. But now, now that we know that angel are men, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says an angel is anything other than a man. An angel always appears as a man in the Bible. Now, there are other creatures. There are seraphim and there are cherubim. And 
these are creatures that they, there are some that guard the throne. Now, Lucifer himself, you know, the origin, people say, well, you know, where, where did all this begin? Well, well, it begins with, first of all, you need to know something about it, because there's a lot of people who, who just deny the existence of Satan. And they say, oh, it's just a, a, a principle of evil. Or, you know, it, it, it can't be determined by the opinions of men. Okay? But there's a reason why. And the reason is that Satan tries to discredit this word of God. He's not a principle of evil. The Bible says he's a person. Scripture says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He walketh, he roareth, and you know what? He's going to be chained one day. Revelations 21 through 3 says that. So these can't stand for a principle of evil, okay? He, and he's got many names, different alliances. He's called Satan. He's called the devil. He's called Beelzebub. He's called Belial. He's called the adversary. He's called the dragon. He's called the serpent. And he's mentioned by one or other of these names 174 times in the Bible. And he's the great celestial Potente. He's the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 2. He's the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 4. Okay? And, and so as you're studying this thing, you'll, you'll come to this conclusion by the time we're done because you're going to learn something that he is not an angel. All right? He is not a fallen angel. He is, he is the god of the earth, and for that, you know, that belongs to it. You know, he's not. Excuse me, he's not the God of the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All right? But Satan is the God of the inhabitable earth and the world systems. And, uh, you know, uh, the uh, embrace of business, society, politics, and religion. He's a ruler of the powers of darkness and of the spiritual world. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. And his position is so exalted that Michael the archangel didn't insult him. Jude says that in Jude 9. Okay? So, so he, he's mighty. And, and man alone could not resist him without divine help. And, you know, his origin is really shrouded in a mystery. But one thing's for certain we can come from the scriptures is that he is a created being and that he was the most exalted type of created being. He was, before his fall, called the anointed cherub that covered him you see and and that's that is he was the guardian or protector of the throne of god he was perfect in all his ways from the day that he was created scripture says until iniquity was found in him and in him in him the bible says was the fullness of wisdom and the perfection of beauty and it's that beauty that caused the pride in him and pride was his downfall Scripture says he was clothed in a garment that was covered with the most rare, precious gems. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle. And all these were woven with gold. And by the way, he was in the Garden of Eden, you see. Now, he's called the uh, son of the morning. And probably because of, of you know, uh, his... His glorious light. The word Lucifer means light, light bearer. And when the glory of God shined on those precious stones, he must have given off this wonderful, beautiful light, you see. 
and and so uh, that's that's where I wanted to get there. You know, he has a kingdom. Don't fool yourself. There's only two sides to this. You're either on God's side or you're not. You know, the devil has children, and an unregenerated, an unsaved man is not led by the Spirit of God. The idea that hey, we're all we're all the children of God. No, the Bible. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus told them Jews, "Ye are of your father the devil." He was a liar from the beginning. The man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Now, you know, the present location of, of the devil, Satan himself, people believe that he and his angels are imprisoned in hell. And that's not true, you see, because in Second Peter 2, 4, you study that thing in Jude 6, there were angels who had left their first estate, and they're reserved in everlasting chains under darkness. But those are not Satan's angels. They're a special class of angels who sin. And you know what? They caused the flood because it was the sons of God that came down. Those angels came down and they, they, they took them, the, the, the women, the men, the women's, they took the wives of, of men and they procreated and created a race of giants. You read that in the Bible if you study Genesis. But I don't want to spend time on it. It's a subject to, in itself. But they're the spirits in prison of whom Peter speaks of. And so uh, when the Lord said to Satan, whence come a thou? You know, when you read the book of Job, there was a time when the sons of God came and appeared before the throne, and Satan would appear before him. That's in the book of Job. Well, Genesis says that there was a day when the sons of God had come down from heaven. You know, the world was so wicked that it had even tempted those angels, and they left their first estate. Those are not Satan's angels. Those angels are reserved, okay? And so uh, you have to remember that. They're in chains. Satan is not in chains. But he is the deceiver of the world. And when I say by the world, it means that all that belongs to the satanic system, all those who are entangled in the satanic mess. And he deceives and he blinds the eyes of the people of the world from seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, 4 says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on to them. And to that end, Satan has preached, and they preach another gospel, another doctrine, you see, and damnable heresies, as it's called. So now if you go with me, uh, let's go talk a little bit more about uh, who this being is. We know that he appears as an angel. An angel always appears as a man. Okay? He's not some winged creature flying around, you know, uh, for Valentine's Day and that kind of stupidity. He, he always appears in the Bible as a man. That's what an angel is. Always appears as men. And by the way, you know, the, the apostles uh, had asked the question, and, and, and uh, actually the Pharisees, and they wanted to know in, in the resurrection uh, if somebody was married here on earth and when they died, the Jewish custom was if a man died, his brother would take over the uh, family, and then the next brother, if he died. And so they went on, you know, with this silly thing, asking the Lord, trying to stump the Lord. And they said, well, if the woman had seven husbands and she gets to heaven, whose will she be? Which husband? And the Lord said they don't procreate in heaven, you see. And and so uh, angels always appear as men. Now let's go look at uh, this, this chariot. Let's look at the description so I can show you from the scriptures 
that Satan himself is a cherub. Okay? He is a cherub. And by the way, he has the face of an ox. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that uh, lightly. I'm going to give it to you out of the scriptures if you'll go with me first to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is, has uh, one of the best descriptions you'll find. But first we have to learn something about uh, uh, some of these winged creatures. And in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel's having this vision. And it's in the uh, 13th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month. And he was among the hills, you know, by the river Chebar. And the heavens were opened, and he saw a vision of God. Okay? And uh, when you get down a little bit farther here uh, to Ezekiel chapter 1, I'll give you a chance to get there. I want you to notice something about these creatures. Verse 4 says, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, and out of the midst of the fire, also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. And their feet were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnishing brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings and their four sides. And they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another, and they turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. So on the right side, there's two faces, a man and a lion. And, on, and then it says, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side, and they four also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. Now, so these particular creatures have two faces on the right side, and they have two other faces, a total of a, a human face, an ox, a lion, and an eagle. All right? So now we're going to move on in Ezekiel. And let's go over to Ezekiel chapter 28. And I and this is not complicated if you just take your time and follow me. Walk, I'll walk you through it, and and then you'll say, "Aha, I see it." All right, Ezekiel twenty-eight, uh, verse fourteen, uh, is where we're going to get to. But listen, to Ezekiel twenty-eight. Now, uh, you have to understand something about prophecy, and you have to understand something about the Bible. When David wrote the psalm and he said they have pierced my hands and my feet david's hands and feet were never pierced that was prophetical talking about christ now when you get to ezekiel 28 it says the word of the lord verse 1 came again unto me unto ezekiel saying son of man say unto the prince of tyrus thus saith the lord god now the prince of tyrus you would say well the prince of tyrus is a man and uh you know he's not talking about any spiritual being. He's not talking about the devil here, and he's just talking about the Prince of Tyrus. Well, listen, Jesus told uh, Peter. Jesus spoke through through Peter to Satan. Remember when Christ said he was going to be crucified, and Peter said, "No, not so." And then the Lord, the God, addresses Satan through him and says, "Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things of the Lord." So God speaking to Peter, but directly through Peter to Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter wasn't Satan. 
And so when you read here, the same thing's going on here. The Lord is talking through uh, the king of Tyrus, uh, Ezekiel, to the king of Tyrus, to Satan. And you'll get that. Listen, thus saith the Lord God. Now listen to what he says. Because when I give you this description, you're going to say there's never been a king of Tyrus who fits this description. You see? So we know it's certainly not the king of Tyrus. It's an address to the devil. Now listen to Satan. Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God. Though thou set thine heart as the heart of God, behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hid from thee. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasure. By great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thy riches, and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God, for I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth thee, I am God, but thou shalt be a man, and no God, in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Well, well, how does the adversary become a man? Well, he becomes Antichrist. He becomes a man. In the middle of the tribulation, he goes into the temple, and he as a man, and declares himself to be God. Okay? Now, verse 10 says, Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised of the hand of strangers. Moreover, now listen, here we go. This is where you really have to pay attention. Verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now, I assure you, there's no king of Tyrus that has been in the garden of Eden, okay? He's talking to Satan. Now, listen, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes, was prepared in thee the day that thou was created. Ready? Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou was walked up and down in the midst of the stone of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Amen? All right? So we know what is a cherub. Well, let's continue now. So now we know that the Lord is called Satan. We know who he is. He's the covering cherub. In fact, there were five that surrounded the throne of God. Because when the apostle John taken up, and you read that in the Revelation, the book of Revelation, there's only four. One's missing. You see? One's missing. And that's the covering tube. And that, that's where Satan's position was before his fall, before his pride. You see, he sat above the throne of God. And that glorious light of the Lord shined through those stones that he was covered in, you know, that covering that he had. And his music, it was piped in, it said, and the tablets. And, and, and so he says, thou hast been in the garden of Eden, you see, and thou art the anointed cherub that covered. He was the covering cherub. 
Now, also, if you go over to uh, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 10, just back up a little bit. Now, listen, there's nothing I love more than preaching that. You know, I'd love to come in here and preach, but I, I think this is important. I think this is a time for people in the world, especially my Christian brethren, to get on the right path, to know that they have an enemy. The enemy is the adversary, and the adversary is no fool. He's no fool. Okay? Ezekiel chapter 10. I want to read just two verses about these creatures, uh, uh, the cherubs. It says, And everyone had four faces. The first was the face of a cherub, and the second was the face of a man, and the third was the face of a lion, and the fourth is the face of an eagle. Now, now, if you remember, when we saw those creatures, they had four faces, a man, an ox, a lion, and an eagle. And here he's describing them, and he says, uh, and everyone had four faces. The first face was a cherub. Well, he mentions in here the, the lion, the eagle, the man, but he doesn't mention the ox. He says it's the face of a cherub. You see it? And everyone had four faces. The first was the face of a cherub. So what face is missing? The ox. You see? And that's why when you see the occult and you see uh, um, pictures of the Beelzebub and the satanic people, uh, representatives and, and descriptions and idols to Satan, it, it's an ox standing there. Pears is an ox because it's an ox and he is an ox. His face. It says, and everyone had four faces. The first was the face of a cherub. Well, we know from from Ezekiel 1, 14 to 13, that they have four faces. Let me say it again. The ox, the lion, the eagle, and the man. They have four faces. And he's telling you here what the face of the cherub is. It's the ox. You see? It's the ox. And so uh, Satan is a covering cherub in Isaiah in Isaiah, you find this. And he, unless you have an NIV or one of those uh, other perversions, you're going to find out that they've changed that verse uh, because they don't want you to know that uh, it's Lucifer. They say, O thou morning star, how art thou cast down from heaven? Uh, and you know what Jesus Christ says in the Revelation? I am the bright morning star. So if you own an NIV, then you can learn that you've just thrown Jesus out of heaven. And if you're any kind of an honest person, you have to ask yourself, if you're claiming to be a Christian, you ought to be an honest person. And you ought to ask yourself, would God have anything to do with a book that throws his son out of heaven? Okay. Now, the scripture does read this in uh, Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You know what it says? Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Okay, now we know what we're talking about here. And they that see thee shall narrowly look upon you and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? And did shake the kingdoms that made the world a wilderness. You see, because he, the mystery of iniquity, Satan appears as a man during the tribulation. Okay, but I, what I want you to see is number one, it was his pride that brought him down. I will, 
I will ascend, I will exalt, I will sit, I will ascend, I will be like I, I. And by the way, you know, some of you, some of you Christians are, aren't too far uh, uh, from this type of pride. You know, iPad, iPhone, I, I, selfie, you, you know what I'm saying. And so uh, uh, the, the issue here that I'm trying to get through is that when you read that in Corinthians, it says that he appears as an angel of light. It isn't saying that Satan is an angel. Truly, he is a cherub. And that's what the Lord called him, the covering cherub, because at one time he covered the throne of God. And this is his fall. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? And by the way, you know, prophecy has an immediate uh, application and a future application. It could have, you know, Scripture can have a past application and a future application. Now, when you're reading here about Lucifer being cast out of heaven, when you get to Revelation, you find out that he's cast out again. And there was war in heaven, and Michael and the angels fought. And, you know, and that's when, you know, mid-trip. And then Satan's down here, and, you know, the world's his. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, we're not too far from that now. And if you're not saved, you know, it's a, uh, today's the day of salvation. Uh, you really can't wait till tomorrow to get saved uh, because uh, there may not be a tomorrow. And I, I think that, you know, that's important for you to consider. But I've given you the description. And, you know, when uh, uh, chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, when John gets up there to heaven, it says round about the throne where, Four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw uh, four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their head crowns of gold, and out of the throne, it's the Lord's throne, God's throne, proceedeth lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne light was a sea of glass like unto crystal, giving you a description of what it looks like in heaven. And in the midst of the throne, and around about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes, and behind and the first beast was like a lion and the second was like a calf and the third beast had the face of a man and the fourth was like a flying eagle and the four beasts had each six wings about him and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying holy 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 lord god almighty which was and is and is to come and those, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and they worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Amen. Hey, listen. We need to get that in our heart. There is a heaven. And if you're saved, stop this fear of death if you're a Christian. People running around. You know, what's what's the reward for death? Well, hey, listen, if I'm a Christian, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'll walk the streets of gold. I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. I have eternal rewards. I'm on the winning side. Well, that's so terrible about dying. You know, people are too hooked to the world. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, when you ask a person who truly loves the Lord, what's the one thing you could have? It should become Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's get up out of here. Whew. So there we've seen that Satan appears as an angel of light. He really appears as a man. Hebrews told us that 
some of us have entertained strangers who were angels. And I and I want to go back there one more time just just for the sake of being sure that you don't think I'm crazy. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verse 2 says, remember them. Oh, excuse me. Uh, verse 2 says, be not forgetful. Paul says, hey, remember this. Don't ever forget this. Thank you, Paul. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You may have met a stranger one day. He could have been an angel. And maybe you treated that person bad. You better beware when you treat talking to strangers. It could be an angel. Amen? That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this stuff up. Go read it for yourself. Chapter 13, verse 2. Remember, uh, verse 2 says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Okay? You see... Angels always appear as men. Now I'm going to take you someplace. I'm going to show you one other thing. We've settled that. We know Satan is not an angel. He appears as an angel. An angel appears as a man on the earth. They don't appear as some, you know, feminine winged creature. Okay? The seraphim, cherubim, they are fierce looking. If you think you could understand all what they look like, we're going to see them in heaven. That's all I can tell you. They're scary when you read about it. But if you'll go with me right now to, you shouldn't fear anything in the Lord because God loves you if you're saved. And you know what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's a wonderful God. He's merciful. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. And and people choose to go to hell. You know, some people miss hell by 18 inches, the distance from the head to their heart. They just don't receive Christ in their heart. But uh, uh, when you study this Bible and you find out that, Something happens here. If you go to chapter 6 of Genesis, I'm going to show you something else about angels. And these are not the angels which left their first estate. Those angels are bound now, or, or rather these are the angels that left their first estate. These are not Satan's angels. These angels are bound, the Bible says, and in, in Peter, the Gospel of Peter, they're chained. In everlasting chains. So listen, I don't know how God chains them in the spiritual world. I, I don't know. I know hell has bars. It has gates. It has a key because Jesus came back and says, I have the keys of hell and of death. And so we know those places have bars, but there's something that we don't understand spiritually. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're not agnostics. We're not Corinthians. We're not Docetists. You know, we're not uh, getting into Plato's uh, Republican in the cave and all that nonsense. Uh, we're, this is Bible. It's not fantasy. This is Bible. This is the Word of God. Here's what it says in Genesis 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall always strive with man, for that he, is, he, he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Who are these sons of God that came and took the, these, these women, well, let me show you who they are. 
okay, because they produced a race of giants on this earth. You say, well, I never heard that. Well, let me read it to you. You can read it again. There were giants in the earth in those days, all right? Genesis 6, 4. And also, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, who were the sons of God that bore them children? And they became mighty and renowned. Who were these giants? Who were these sons of God? I have an answer for you. If you go to the oldest book in the Bible, it's the book of Job. The book of Job. People have often asked me, they said, uh, uh, Dr. Ventura, who wrote the book of Job? Well, that's for quite simple. Uh, Job thirty-two sixteen, Elias. Elihu wrote it. Because everybody else is speaking, he's recording them in the second person. But when Elihu speaks, he says, then I said. You see, he was the recorder. All right? But I want you to read something about that. I want you to go to the first book of, uh, the first chapter of the book of Job. Okay? I'll give you a chance to get this. It's important. Look at verse 6. Let's study this together. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, let me clarify for those who do not know. When you see capital L-O-R-D in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it is Jehovah God. When you see a capital L, small O-R-D, it can be Adoniah, or it could be the Lord God. It could be Sarah called her husband Lord, okay? So you have to read it in its context. But whenever you see capital L-O-R-D, you're talking about God, all right, the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, Verse 7, whence cometh thou? This is taking place in heaven. Listen to what Satan says. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, as thou considered my servant Job. Let me go back. Now let's read it in its context. Verse 6, now there was a day when who appears? The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also. Okay. Look at chapter 2 of Job. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. You understand that? The sons of God, they are spiritual. They were the angels in heaven. You know the Bible says when God created the, the heavens and the earth that the sons of God, the angels, sang out. And so these angels always appear as men. That's why they're called the sons of God. And these angels were so tempted in the book of Genesis that they came down and they took them human wives. You see, and that's why Jesus told those Pharisees and them that you don't, you don't know the scriptures because they neither marry in heaven. You see, there's no reason to procreate to, to regenerate the human race in heaven. This is something that's done on earth. And an angel appears as a man, and he can procreate on the earth, it says. And those angels who did that left their first estate, and they are chained and reserved in darkness unto the day of judgment. 
And so there's a difference. And so now that you know that, you know, Cupid is not of the angel species, another demon. And so these are these are important things that you need to know if you're going to study the Bible because you, you need to know your your adversary. He's in the world. And he hides the gospel from people's eyes. He blinds the minds of men. He makes them think that God doesn't have everything to do with the world and that God just wound up man, and that's another lie, you know. He's blinding the minds of men so they can't see the truth of the gospel. You know, God just wind us, wound us up, created it, and it's just running like a top. And when it runs out of power, it all, you know, no. The biggest, the greatest secret that Satan's held against the people is, I don't exist. See, but he does exist. He does exist. And you know what? The Bible says that all unregenerated human beings are subject to Satan. Jesus called the tares in Matthew thirteen thirty-eight the children of the wicked one. And he told those pharisaical Jews that their father was the devil in John eight forty-four. Ye of your father the devil. And I want you to know the devil's a deceiver. Okay? And and he's in the world. And the world, when I say that, I mean the satanic system. You've all been on this program and, and many, many times, and you've heard the host speak about the system we are in. Have you ever looked at how you make a dollar sign and you put that little S there with the two lines through it? Well, don't you know what that means? That means you're under sat- under bars, under Satan. You're oppressed. It's right on your dollar bill. You know, you, you write it part of the world system. And so to this end, Satan has his preachers. And you know what they do? They preach another gospel. The gospel is the doctrine of devils. That's what that's what Timothy says. And and I, my goodness, and people are, I, I've watched people, they're sitting in these mega churches and some, some satanic representative who's appearing as, a, as an angel of light, as a man, and, and as a representative of the gospel, and he's not, and he's telling people he's stealing thousands and thousands of dollars from people out of their pockets, which could be used to truly help the Lord's work. And how does he do it? Through a religious system, through twisting of the scriptures. And the Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's not what you know that will get you. It's what you don't know. Because you haven't studied the scriptures. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. It's, it's in the book. You're to study the word. And you know what? The more you study the word, the closer you draw to God. Well, this preacher is not preaching that. He's a prosperity preacher, and he's preaching from Malachi. And if you draw near me, I'll draw near to you. So he's telling everybody, give you know thousands of dollars to God because you can draw near God that way, and he's going to bless you back. Now listen, if you're giving out of a good heart in a rightful way, you know, Paul said on, when you come together on the first day of the week, as God has prospered, you give. Well, amen for that. Well, there's no naming and claiming. Cut that out. We don't. We don't. God. God's not some genie. Satan's a person, and he's real. 
And Ezekiel tells you that. And Isaiah told you that. In, in Ezekiel 14, go back to Ezekiel 14 before I wrap this up. Ezekiel 14, it's Ezekiel 14, be sure. I don't want to go there. I'm going to back out of that verse. I'm going to apologize to you. I, I wrote it down wrong. What we have discovered this evening, and I told you, this is, a, this is not an easy subject to teach on because, you know, when people hear things that they never heard before, they're shocked. Uh, I was teaching a, uh, at the church a, on a Wednesday night. I have a mixed community of people that come to the Bible Believers Bible Study on Thursday night. And what they found was as many of them had come from Roman Catholicism, from Episcopalian churches and other churches, and, and they didn't even know that sprinkling was not a biblical method of, of baptism. But the real shocker for them was when they learned that Christ didn't die on a Friday, that he died on a Wednesday. And he was three days and three nights in the tomb, and by Jewish time, Saturday night at 6 is a Sunday to a Jew. It's the first day of the week. And so uh, it was a feast of first fruits, and Christ was the first fruits from the dead. You know, those seven feasts have a relation to the Lord in all its aspects. And so uh, people are shocked to hear that. And one of the ladies said to me, she was from a Roman Catholic church, she said, my goodness, I'm going to have to relearn everything, you see, because what they've done is they just believe what somebody told them. That's why the Bereans searched the scriptures, the book of Acts says, to see whether these things were so or not. You see, if if you think the Old Testament is just some Old Testament books that were written and they don't apply to you today, Paul said they were written for our, our admonition. How would we have learned about the sons of God who appear in heaven, who came down and took on human women and, and created a race of giants? Which the flood wipes out, right? Not to a degree. And so how do you learn that stuff? Well, you, you can't learn it, my brethren and my friends, and unless you, you read the book, you see? And you'd rather watch TV or go out and, you know, do something else. And it requires study. And you know what? Studies work. But, the, but Paul said that your vocation, your vocation is Christian. And a vocation is your trade, your job, your skill. And that's who you are as a Christian. You work at it. It's a vocation. Work out your own salvation. He didn't say work it out the way you want it. Do whatever you want. When Paul said work out your own salvation, he means bring that which is in out. What's in? The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. You see? And so right now we're in a time where Peter talks about that great apostasy. And he says there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be even evil spoken of. You know what evil speaking of the way of truth is to, to take the word of God and change it, to take the word of God and twist it. And, and you know, 
I, I have a Bible study uh, before me. It's called uh, Memory Verses, 17 memory verses that you can remember in less than 10 minutes. I bet you never thought you could memorize them all. And there's a list of them. Matthew 17, 21 goes all the way to Mark 9, 44, Luke 17, Acts, John 5, 7. And you know what? You try and find those verses in a NIV. They're not there. They're removed. You see? Satan is a counterfeiter. Jesus Christ in his glory shows up at the mount. Peter, John, and James are there. They're eyewitnesses. And they see the Lord. They see Moses. They see Elijah. And they see the Lord glorified. He's light. He's lit up. Well, what does Satan appear as? An angel of light. Why? Because he's a counterfeiter. He counterfeits the things of God. You see? And when you see these, these false teachers, you know, they deny the virgin birth. They deny the deity. They, they deny the bodily resurrection, you know, they, and, the, and the personal premillennial return of the Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, your, your adversary is very subtle in his methods. And you know what? If it was possible, it said he would deceive the very elect. Satan knows all the great scripture subjects that are of universal interest to humanity, and he's too wise to attack them openly. So what's he do? He adulterates them with false doctrine. He tries to rob the church, the body of Christ, of her blessed hope of the Lord's return. And he mixes it with a lot of false teaching and time setting, you know, like Millerism, Seven-Day Adventism, Millennium Dawnism. You know, and what's the purpose of all this? Christian science, the new thought. Well, it's to prevent mankind from turning to the Lord for healing. The adversaries invented these, and it's seducing spirits. And you know what? To satisfy the craving of the human mind, to know what's going on in the spiritual world, he invented spiritualism. Now, listen to what I'm saying here, because there's some of you that use psychics and read horoscopes. I want you to listen to this what I'm about to tell you. You see, when when interest in it began, started to fall away, Satan revived it under the name of physical research. And then it went on to spiritualism. And the systems existed from eons ago, ages ago. And it's it has unqualified combination in the scriptures. There shall not be found among you anyone that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a chime, or a charmer. What he's talking about is somebody who is consulting with familiar spirits, a necromancer. Here's Deuteronomy eighteen ten through twelve says, "For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord." You see, spiritualism is just another name for demonism, and it's it's a professed impersonation. It's a counterfeit. And it's demonic. Christian science teaches that there's such a thing as malicious animal magnetism, you know, which one person is a, may afflict another. And it's only another name, really, for diabolism. And those who dabble in spiritualism, psychic research, you know, you're, you're liable to have your understanding darkened. And you can come under the power of demons. You see, Satan seeing that, 
He can't stamp out the church by violence or persecution because, you know, it's like water in your hand. Every time a persecution comes on the church, the word of God spreads out. They're all down there in Jerusalem in the beginning in Acts chapter 2, and, and God told him to go, Jesus told him to go into all the world, started Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, go out into the world, right? And what did they do? They tried to hold on to their Jewishness, Masonic movement, if you haven't heard that, the Jewish Masonic movement. Come on. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. You're a Christian, you're a Christian, you're a Christian. There's no such thing as a Masonic Jew. Amen? Unless you're a Mason in the Masons and you're Jewish. So uh, what happened? Well, what happened was they wouldn't leave Jerusalem. So God brought a persecution. They spread out all over the world. Ended up in Antioch, the first place they were called Christians. All right? So Satan can't stamp out the church because God preserves it, but he's changed his tactics. You see? He tried that. Remember? The Apostle Paul going around arresting people, killing them. You know? How many persecutions were brought to try and destroy him? And so he's, but what he wants to do is he wants to seduce you, Christian, into conformity to the world. And he wants you to try to better, quote, the age. You see, we're in the age of Aquarius. You see, the age that God is doomed to destruction. And, and Satan's present purpose is to build up a magnificent civilization. And he's deceived the church into believing that it can bring in the millennium without Christ. You see, the betterment of society. And his hope is that the gospel of social service is going to take place of the gospel of grace. And, he, and he's diverting the attention of Christian people to secondary things. And they're going to neglect the primary work of soul saving. And they're going to delay the evangelization of the world. And they're going to postpone the return of the Lord, see, and his own confinement in the bottomless pit. But he's wrong. There's a day set, and the Bible says he will burn. He will go to the lake of fire, and he is our adversary. And the warfare between God, good and evil, and it's recorded in your Bible from Genesis 3.15 all the way to Revelation 20.10. And it's the most intensely great reading. But Satan tempts Eve. She eats, and Adam with her, and they're both cast out of the garden. First victory scored for Satan, right? Then Satan then enters Cain. The result, Abel's murder. Victory number two for Satan. The sons of God at Satan's instigation. They marry the daughters of men. Results in the flood. Victory number three for Satan. Noah delivered from the flood. He's tempted to drink. Yields. And, and a curse falls on Ham. Victory number four. The people multiply and Satan fills their hearts with pride and presumption. The Tower of Babel's built. Amen. Hey, the result is confusion of tongues, and the unity of the races are broken up. Victory number five. Then what happens? Then God, God calls Abraham, to whom the promised seed of the woman, the second Adam, should come, who was to bruise Satan's head. And now the fight begins, and it's really on. And we, you know, we, I, don't, I don't have the uh, space to fully lay that out, but first, Satan closes Sarah's womb, remember? Then when Isaac is born, he seeks to have him slain by his father's hand at Mount Moriah. And he makes enmity between Esau and Jacob, hoping that the tragedy of Cain and Abel would be repeated. Then he causes Potiphar's wife to tempt Joseph, trying to get him out of the way. 
And when the time came for Moses to deliver the children of Israel to be born, what's he do? He puts it in the heart of Pharaoh's people to kill all the male children, destroy them at birth. And truly, there's too much and too much involved to speak of it. Look at the sin of David was Satan's work. And at one time, the seed royal was narrowed down to one child. And that's they found in Second Chronicle 2, 4, 17, 22, 10, 20. And so when the time came that Christ was born, it was Satan who prompted Herod to destroy all the, male children, all the male children of Bethlehem under two years old. It was Satan who tried to overcome Christ when weakened by fasting in the wilderness. And he suggested, hey, amen, he suggested that Christ throw himself down, pinnacle of the temple. You know, the attempt of the people to overthrow him from the hilltop of Nazareth. Remember that? The two storms of Galilee were all attempts of Satan to destroy him. And when he was spoiled in these, he renewed his fight through the priests, through the Pharisees, and succeeded at last in getting Judas to sell out his own master. And then, amid the shades of Gethsemane, he sought to kill Christ by physical weakness before he could reach that cross. And when Christ was crucified, he thought he had conquered. But when Christ rose from the dead, Satan's rage knew no bounds. Hey, listen, in all probability, Satan and his angels contested the ascension of Christ. And the history of the Christian church is but an irresistible and an irrepressible between Satan and God's people. And this is why Paul wrote, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. See, even Paul, thorn in the flesh, was a messenger of Satan. But there's coming a day when there's a reconciliation. And the scripture says, and there was war in heaven. Revelation 12, 7 to 17. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast out, which accused them before our God day and night. You know, Satan has been the accuser of the brethren. For all, all of human creation and human genealogy, you know that he'll accuse you to you. He'll say if you were that kind of Christian, you wouldn't have done that. And then he'll accuse God to you and say, what kind of God do you have that would let something like that happen in the world? And, and then he goes up to God and says, did you see that, that, that Christian down there? That guy, Billy Bob, he, he he did this. And then Jesus, our advocate, stands up and says, it's confess, 1 John 1, 9. It's under the blood, out. Thank God we have an advocate. Amen? I want you to know the greater portion of this last quarter of this lesson, I am not a plagiarizer and I am not a thief. But I've taken that directly, Clarence Larkin. And it was seemed to me the easiest way to bring this forth uh, and to conclude it. And if you have never read Clarence Larkin from uh, You Should, the name of the book uh, is called, are you ready? It's called The Greatest Book on Dispensational Truth 
in the world. And it's by Clarence Larkin. And by the way, there's some wonderful charts in here, some great stuff. He talks about moving dispensations. It goes through dispensationalism. It has many, many charts. And, uh, uh, you know, it was copyrighted originally in 1918. And Clarence Larkin, uh, it was a, uh, a great man of God. Uh, and, and so I, I took the liberty, without permission, of course, to uh, use that section, portions of the section of that book this evening. And I, I don't ever want to, uh, you know, it's sometimes I've preached a sermon that another man has preached, uh, such as, uh, you know, uh, One More Night with the Frogs. You know, there's some famous sermons. And, and you know what? God put it on my heart, and I'm not stealing the man's work. I'm just bringing forth the Word of God, and, and this is the best tool to help you understand. And so if, if you remember uh, Ezekiel 10, 14 through 15, the ox, Satan is not a man. He is not an angel. He is a cherub, appears as an angel of light. And you know what? Timothy warns us that people are going to be preaching doctrines of devils. Where do you think they're preaching them from? The pulpits. And many people sitting under them. You see, the greatest battle for Satan is not what did God do or what is God going to do. It, the Bible says his heart is like a nether stone. It's like the big wheel on the grinding wheel, His Satan's heart. His heart is so hard, he doesn't believe in his heart that he could lose against God. But he already lost 2,000 years ago, my friends. He lost at the cross of Jesus Christ. And three, I would have loved to have seen his face. If he had a cell phone, they would have called him up and said, you're not going to believe this, but the tomb's empty. He just said, what? Well, the tomb was empty, and the tomb is still empty. And today's the day of salvation, my friend. I'd just like to conclude this and give you an opportunity to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, because time is running short. This earth is on a collision course. It is not evolution, it is devolution, and it is going down. It's going down. It's spiraling, and it's coming faster and faster, and the evil in the world is getting greater and greater. You see, it's not about right and wrong. It's about good and evil. But we know how it ends. The Lord Jesus Christ wins. I want to read you something out of Romans, if you're listening this evening, and you're unsaved. This is the Word of God. The Word of God says this. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Listen, this isn't an abracadabra, just say this prayer and baby, you're in. You, you got to have a change of heart. You got to know you're a sinner. I mean, if you don't know you're a sinner and you're lost and you're on your way to hell, what do you need to get saved from? You know God has given every man reason and conscience. And in your heart of hearts, you know the life you've been living. And you know the empty spot in that heart, in that place. And I write in the book, 
uh, a testimony, and when I send out the newsletter to the prisoners, uh, sometimes I like to repeat the story of how I was riding in the back of a limousine and uh, with a crew of men, and we were partying very hard. And as we were driving along in our three-piece suits and on our and our limo, I was a bodyguard and chauffeur. I'm looking out the window, and I looked at a parking lot where there was a store called Bradley's at the time. I don't think they're in business anymore. And there were weeds blowing across it and dust. And, and I thought to myself, man, I feel like that parking lot. And the other guys said to me, hey, Peter, what's going on? What's happening? And I said, and I feel like that parking lot. And they said, oh, come on, come on. They tried to take my mind off it, and they gave me another drink. And, you know, we were drinking champagne in the car. And, and But you know what? The truth is I had an empty spot in my heart that nobody could fill. If you're out there tonight and you've got that empty spot, it's because you're a sinner and you need to get saved. And Jesus Christ will fill that spot. And you'll find the joy of the Lord. and Your life will change. The Bible says if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. You want to have a new life? Repent of your sin. Give it up. Turn to the Lord and say, God, I'm a sinner. and I need a Savior. I'm going to split hell wide open. I'm asking you, Lord, to hear this prayer. I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins, that he was buried, that he resurrected on the third day, that he's sitting at your right hand now. And I ask you, Lord, and I receive this Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I repent of those sins that I've committed in the past. And I'm sorry, God, I've offended you. But I'll tell you, Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. My goodness. Hey, listen, God's got more ways of taking people out of this world than you can imagine. 5,000 people a year get blasted with lightning off the face of the earth. Hey, Peter, i got a question Over. for you. There are a couple questions in the chat room here. Uh, what's the difference? One guy wants to know what's the difference between the, uh, the, the uh, King James uh, that you were talking about and the NIV. Well, to ask him if he has a pencil, tell him to write down these verses. All right, well, go ahead. He's, he's listening, so go ahead. He's in the chat room. Oh, yeah? Go ahead. Okay. Okay, here, I'll give you a quick memory test. 17 Bible verses in less than 10 minutes. All right? Here's three out of Matthew. 17, 21. 18, 11. 23, 14. Here's five verses in Mark. 7, 16. 9, 44. 946, 1126, 1528. You're not going to, you can name Luke 1736 and 2317. All right. And then you'll also find in Acts 837. And I'll give you one more. I don't want to give them all. 1 John 5-7. And then if you'll take those verses and you'll compare them with the King James Bible, you're going to find out none of those verses are in your NIV. That's the first problem. You see, the Bible says every word of God is pure. And he's a shield unto them to put their trust in him. Add not thou to his words, lest he reprove thee, and be thou found a liar. Uh, the difference between the Bibles is manuscripts. You see, this idea that 
uh, we're going to simplify the reading of the Bible. I mean, uh, we're going to make it better. Could you make Shakespeare's writings better? I mean, you know, well, people say, well, how come God doesn't talk like, you know, the, a newspaper? Well, because he's God. That's number one. All right? Number two, uh, there is a doctrine in the Bible called the preservation of the Bible. It's not up to the Lachman Foundation. And by the way, you know, Rupert Murdoch owns uh, the NIV. If you, you, you want to call me today and tell me how holy Rupert Murdoch is, I'll, I'd like to hear that story. Uh, okay. Uh, he owns the NIV. He's working on the New King James Version now. And so uh, the problem with the NIV is, is that verses are changed. If you'll go to Isaiah uh, with me, uh, I'll run there really quick. Joe's very familiar with this. We've discussed this many times on his program. And uh, if you look at Isaiah, this is just one sample. I mean, you have to be honest now. Let's be honest with each other. Isaiah 14, I read it earlier. Look at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Right? Now he's cast out of heaven. There's no question he's talking about Lucifer here in our King James Bible. But, but the NIV doesn't call him son of the morning. It calls him morning star. Well, here's the problem. When I get to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation says that Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Your, your NIV is throwing Jesus out. Here's another place, if you look with me, and I'm not going to belabor this is the last verse I'm going to cover with you in the NIV, uh, uh, because I can go to the ESV, the uh, RSV. You know, you go 1 John 5, 7, and look at they took the Trinity out, okay? But Acts, when you get to the book of Acts, chapter 2, you're going to find verse 38 missing in your Bible, in your NIV, okay? The first problem is the, that the men who wrote those Bibles do not believe that God was able to preserve his own word. That's the first problem. Okay, now, uh, when you're reading this and you're going down the King James Bible here, and you get to Acts 2. Well, they said, well, they said now, King James, you know, like when King James, well, well, so King James, he was, uh, you know, they, they, so are those stories true about King James? He was a homosexual and stuff like that, or, or is that all just, no, the uh, man, no, no, I'll, I'll address that, and I'll address that properly. Okay, he was not, and it was a vassal who was in his king's court, who made the accusation after King James was dead. How bold. Okay? You know, they were so worried about that that, they, that you know, the gunpowder plot. They tried to blow him up. Cut it out. Now, listen, I, I want to finish that thought on the book of Acts, if I could, Joe, just for a minute. I'm going to get out of here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I got one more question. Yeah, we, go ahead. Yeah, and we can discuss it. So what I wanted to show was this. Philip's in the eunuch, Candace is the eunuch, and he's come from Ethiopia to, to Jerusalem to worship. He's on his way back. He's reading in the book of Isaiah. The custom at the time was to read out loud. He's reading in the chariot, and who pulls up? Philip comes up, and Philip says to him, you know, do you know what you're reading? And he says, well, you know, not unless somebody explains it. So Philip explains who Jesus Christ is and the gospel and everything. All right? So now what, what happens is... Uh, Peter gets down there, and he says to them, we're in Acts 8.37, right? So Philip says, 
the, the, the eunuch says to Philip, then Philip opened his mouth and he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came onto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they commanded the chariot to stop. They go down into the water. Well, that verse is missing out of your NIV, verse 37. It's not there. In other words, so what it would read is that they, it, he says, what would hinder me from baptizing? And he commands the chariot to stand still, and they go down and get baptized. So your NIV is teaching that that, that man, Philip, got saved by water baptism, not by faith in Jesus Christ. They are something doctrinally wrong with that. All right, so okay. they're okay. So they're, they're, pur- they're purposely doing okay. So they're purposely omitting verses, and you can't omit verses from Word of God. But you said yeah, earlier, yeah. But you said earlier that Satan knows the Bible word for word. He's an expert on it. Well, then why would he be stunned that Jesus rose again? Why would he be angry at that? He knew it was going to happen. It was written. Well, because it was in a mystery. See, he didn't know that. But he knows what the scriptures. Well, ladies, well hang on now. Hang on. What do you mean he didn't know now, that? Wait a minute. Now, Hold on. Can I finish? Can I finish? Don't cut me okay. off. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me just finish that. The first prophecy of the coming of the Messiah is in Genesis 3.15. That's why he got rid of Abel. That's why he kept killing the one to kill Moses. He's looking for that seed. That's why he sends out Herod. To kill the baby He knows the Messiah is coming But he doesn't know who it is Got it? Well, you and I know okay. Antichrist No, I know I got, No, I got we, that part But, we, you, but, we, but, but, yeah. but uh, So that wasn't written So before So Satan did not That was written after I mean Because so, Satan knows the Bible So he would Obviously know the New Testament Before it was written Before it was disclosed to us Or before it was uh, He would know He knew it before John, Paul And before the Lord Gave it to them Correct? Well, no What he knew What he knew was The Old Testament scriptures Oh, he didn't know the New Testament yet. Well, no, how could he? It hadn't been written. They hadn't lived it. It hadn't come about. But he knew there was a Messiah coming because it had been prophesied in Genesis 3.15. He said, the scripture says, I'll put enmity between thy seed and the woman's seed. Women don't have seed. That's a virgin birth. See? Well, you remember that night we were on beat. You remember? Yeah, go ahead. And then it says, he'll, he'll bruise his heel and 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 that uh, the Messiah, this seed of the woman would crush his head. So he knows all through history that, you know, the Messiah's come. So then he takes them out into the wilderness and he tries them. He says, Hey, if you're the Messiah, turn this bread into, you know, stone. And what's Jesus do? He quotes some scripture. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he knew he he, it, he tempted Jesus. Yeah, you're right. He so he knew that was yeah. Jesus. He knew that was the Messiah. That's my that was my well, problem as well. He, you know, right. He knows this is the guy. He knows this is the claim. He doesn't know how God's manifold wisdom is going to bring it about. But here it is. He knows it was so. There's going to be a, a virgin birth. He's looking for that child, right? So Christ comes on the scene. So he takes him out and he tries him. He's going to tempt them. He offers them all the kingdoms of the world. It was the right offer the wrong time. Christ gets the kingdoms anyway. 
No, I know that. I know. But I'm, I was just saying that what the question was is that what they asked is that, well, if he knew this, why? Because you said he was, oh, he rose again. What? Because you said he, if it was cell phones, he would have got a phone call. I'm like, no, oh, he rose again. Oh, what do you mean? Well, he already knew he was going to rise again. He knows it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, so yeah, well, he was shocked by that, you know. Well, he didn't, he didn't know he was going to rise again. Job said, I'll see my Redeemer <laughs> on the earth. Yeah. After Job knew about a resurrection and all that, but Satan didn't know how how it was going to go down. It hadn't been written. All he knew was the Messiah was coming. Well, yeah, it had been written because in Jonah, in the the book of Jonah, it was written. He was in the the whale's belly for three days and then came out. Yeah, right. And Isaiah said, "What he was bruised for our iniquity." I mean, there were all these prophecies, and so he was trying to figure it out too. You know, where is this one? Is this the one? So, you know what? In, in his mind, he, there, who had been resurrected from the dead? Well, he God knew Jesus was the Messiah because you said he brought him out to the desert. He tempted him, and Jesus showed him, and, and the devil went away. Because you know, remember, he said, I'll give you all the kingdoms. And Jesus said, no, depart from me, Satan. And he, you know, So he knew that was God all that time. That's why he sent Judas. Well, he was actually he became Judas and tried to do all you know do all that all that you know it just doesn't. Well, what I'm trying to say is for the people out there, it's not for me. It's not for the people that believe and have faith because you got to have some faith here. You know, we can analyze everything to a pinpoint. What I'm trying to say is that you know these are problems that we've come. We're we're now in a world with sophistication, more knowledge, and growth in knowledge and and our technology. And you see, back then it was easy to tell these stories and convince people, but today man is you know. Know, wiser now is that wrong? Now is that wrong? Or what I'm saying is this becomes the problem why people are falling away. No, look, no. What is, you know, the problem. What has comes the problem is is worldly wisdom. You see, it's devilish. It's sensual. It's not of God. And so worldly wisdom tells a man to use common sense to understand God. God says seeing. God says believing is seeing. Man's common sense tells him, hey, when I see it, I believe it. That's yeah, well, they were thinking the same way back then, you know. Back then, they were thinking well, the same way. The well, what wisdom back then was any good, you know? <laughs> yeah. Technically, well, listen, technically, there, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just in a different form and a different shape and a different method, a different wrapping. Sin is sin. Well, no, I, I, I got that. I'm not taking away from the doctrine. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is so, that's the problem no, we have convincing people today. Well, you know what? That's why God chose the. I got a. I got a great passage for you. Here's for the. Here's your answer. All right. Here you go. You ready? For the Jews require a sign. And the Greek seeks after wisdom. We preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brother, how that not many wise men after the flesh. You see, not many, not many rocket scientists, not many wise men after the flesh. See, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Why? To confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised as God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why did he do it? Next verse tells you that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
<laughs> Amen. See, yeah, I know, but what if there was no God? No, no, so let's hey, put this question out there. Hey, if there was no God and no Bible, what would man do? There'd be no control over him. They wouldn't be able to control the masses of people. Imagine if all the Christians were gone. How no. much chaos there would be. Listen, listen, everybody has free will. There'd still be chaos. There'd, listen, every man... No, because we have the answer to God. I fear God. We fear God. Listen, you know. Listen, there are people who don't fear God. There are people that don't believe there is yeah, a God. I know. There I'm, are people, I'm just saying. There are, I know you're missing the but point. But I understand. Your, I understand your. Uh, listen, you're not letting me answer. I understand your hypothetical question. I understand the position that this person is coming from. He's trying to say the Bible was written to control the masses. He's never had a conversion experience. He's never asked Jesus Christ as, to be his Lord and Savior. He's never well, met we don't know that. And, we don't know that now, Peter. You so, can't say that now. I know, you know that. We don't know what's in a man's heart. Sir, sir, excuse me. You keep interrupting me. Okay? I know that, and I'm going to tell you how I know that. Because anybody who knows the Lord knows that this book wasn't written to control the masses. That's how I know it. Okay? Now, that's, you know, that's Lenin, Lenin, and Marxism, you know, that it's the uh, perfect drug, the opioid, you know, to control the masses. And it is not. Disprove the book. When, when that man can disprove this book, then he has the right to make that statement. And until you can disprove the prophecies in this book, and the book itself, it's accurate in prophecy. There are over 47 prophecies telling you where Jesus would be born, how he would be born, when he would be born. And these books were written back then, long before Christ, before crucifixion even became a tool of death. Alvin Pan, one of the greatest physicists and mathematicians in Russia, sat down and said, I'm going to disprove that Bible, and I'm going to show you it's wrong. He was an atheist. He went to the first verse of the Bible and found the seven Hebrew uh, words, and he went through it, and he found so many combinations of, of verb tense and nouns that he wrote the numbers down, and it was something like one with 16, 18 zeros behind it. Alvin Cannon sat down. He was one of the greatest minds in the world. He said, there is no way a human being could have put that together, and he became a Christian. You see, men can say those things, but the problem is this, and I'm not disparaging your listener. What I'm saying is this. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You just can't take somebody's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Read the scriptures. Disprove the book. When you can disprove the book, then you have a right to say those things. But when you're just repeating something that somebody else said, that this book is just to control the masses, I have free will. I don't have to obey this book. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to obey my government. I have liberty in the United States of America. I have a constitutional right to break any law I want as long as I'm willing to suffer the punishment for that. That's liberty. That's freedom of choice. Okay? And I have free will. And so I'm not a captive or a prisoner to the mass. However, I choose to follow the gospel because I find that the teachings of Jesus Christ and my relationship with the Lord is beneficial to my life and my spiritual well-being. And I don't oh, want okay. to I found that when I studied it out, hell is a real place. And I don't want to go to hell. And so I received my Savior. That's why Jesus came. How can anybody explain how millions and millions of people have been converted and the wonderful and great testimonies of things that happened in their lives? How Jesus okay. Christ has changed them. 
Okay, no, no but let's get to, yeah, we, we don't want to argue about yesterday or the manuscripts or anything like that, Just but, but another person brought it up, you know, uh, today. You know, for instance, uh, he writes, you know, um, there was a science paper, the Bible reports, um, he said, the destruction of the Canaanite cities and the annihilation of its people. If true, the Canaanites could not have directly contributed genetically to present-day populations, right? And he, and he said, okay, so let's just leave it right there for now, he says. Okay, now he, he gives me another paragraph. He goes, you know, they were writing questions all this time, but his first all right, there's an online journal called uh, Cosmos, an Australian popular science uh, reporting journal. For, a, for in July 28th, I ran a report under the headline, DNA versus the Bible. Israelites did not wipe out the Can- Canaanites, okay? It says, Andrew uh, Madison, this is what the, uh, the person who wrote this story, added details such as the, um, the land promised to the Israelites because they served Baal, and the uh, uh, horse, he says, Judges 2.13, oh. and were also yeah. generally in the way of Brian Nelson writing for the Mother Nature Network on July 27th, wrote, in the Hebrew Bible, the Canaanites are a group of people who once inhabited the southern Levant and are credited with constructing the first alphabet before eventually being systematically violated by the Israelites. Okay? So, so... um not to be outdone, I says another another one here. The UK, the UK Independent reported well, well, Bible says Canaanites. Hang on, let me finish now. There's three there's three scenarios now. The Bible says Canaanites were wiped out by Israelites, by but scientists just found their descendants living in Lebanon. Ian Johnston, the science reporter, took the trouble to add not simply a reference from the Book of Joshua reporting the Israelite success, but also a lurid quotation from uh, Richard Dawkins calling the God of the Hebrews. Bible, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a, genotic, a genocidal, um, uh, uh, you know, when he goes on, blah, blah, blah. But his story actually shows more depth than most acknowledging both textual variants and uh, um, uh, nuance. While the Bible says they were wiped out by the Israelites under Joshua in the land of Canaan, Later passages suggest there were at least few, a few survivors. Some biblical scholars have argued the passages describing the Canaanites' wholesale destruction are, uh, are a hyperboil, um, basically uh, contradictive, and the genetic research would indeed appear to indicate the slaughter was much less extensive than described. So the so the conclusion I'm, I'm not going to go like you said earlier go into all all this guy so you got to be patient with me here and then the, the person in the chat room here I appreciate you know all you taking the time to write all this yeah, I have, but I've got to get to the point here. What's yeah, that? I got a one liner for you. Well, when it says that it destroyed all the Canaanites, well, all in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean all. Number one, uh, you know, Paul said he'd tell you all his affairs, but that doesn't mean he tells you how much tissue he used. Okay, that's number one. Number two. Who said every canine in the world was there? Maybe somewhere out of town. Okay? So, well, so let's yeah. not get well I'm sure they went on a plane somewhere. <laughs> listen, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a critical, uh, critical critique of Dan Brown's book, you know, uh, on the evolution of God. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, you can write articles and you can do that stuff, but you got to back it up with some substance. Now, I'm not – it doesn't say that every single Canaanite in the world was wiped out. Whoever was there on that battlefield in those cities, they were gone. If okay. Connecticut was wiped out and I was in North Carolina, would all the Connecticut people be dead? No. All right. Well, North remember Carolina. that night? 
Remember that night you and I were on the Omegle, and that guy asked a very difficult question about Pharaoh and his heart. If God, God says he knew his heart, but yet it was a question about free will, God already knew Pharaoh was not going to let the Jews go. So if God already knew that, then why ask the question? Because God already knew his heart. He didn't give him the free will to make a choice. It was already foretold and, and done so by God. Of course, you remember he asked that question. Excuse me. Yes, he waited and he waited for Pharaoh and he kept sending Moses back and back. And finally, you know what? It said, "What God says, okay. You want a hardened heart? You want disbelief? Here's your hardened heart. Now come and get them. I'll use you to get my people out of Israel, out of Egypt." And that's what he did. And he but no, God said he already knew Pharaoh's heart. Yes, but listen. Many times in the Bible, you're going to learn that God used the enemies of Israel to come after Israel because Israel had sinned and got out of the word. And he used those enemies to come after Israel, and they went after them, and then Israel repented. They got right. That's the whole story of, of Israel. They'd walk, get in. They'd walk, get in. Then they'd go after their enemies. They'd wipe them out. Then the next enemies would come, and God like Babylon. Remember, they carried the Babylon for okay. seven years. That's their enemy. And so, you know, who, who, who am I in the first place to question God? When it comes well, to that, well, we don't. We're not saying that now. We don't want to get into that. We, my man can't ask questions. I mean, you know, that's why he has teachers, right? There's teachers. I mean, we, well, we can. We're not robots. We, you know, I mean, that's what you even said. He doesn't want robots. Yes, I understand. We can ask questions. Okay. I, I'm not saying I I can't ask a question, but I know this much. I know there's places in the Bible where where it says, "Thus saith the Lord." That's it. The Lord said it's good enough for me. I mean, listen. How do I do? I think I'm smarter than God. Absolutely not. All I know is God revealed to me the things that He wants us to know, that He's allowed us to know. If if God knows how many pieces of sand it takes to create, you know. Uh, an ocean. Uh, he knows how to weigh the water so that salt comes out of it and it stays down and the water can rise. He, God weighed out his chemicals before he built this whole thing. He knows how many atoms it takes to make a universe. I can't even figure out how many how many atoms and molecules it takes to put together a piece of glass. Well, let's let stick a, to the Bible old, then, like you said. Okay, okay. I, well, I don't mind. We're not making a glass or a watch. Well, let's stick to the Bible, like you said. Um, yeah, yeah, let's Bible verses, you know, Deuteronomy 22, 28, 29, if a man is caught in the act of raping a young woman who is not engaged, he must pay 50 pieces of silver to her father. Then he must marry the young woman because he violated her, and he will never be allowed to divorce her. You know, the question, now this guy is, you know, critically says, you know, you got to be, what, 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 you, you got to be a psychopath to make a rape victim marry her rapist. You know, how, what, can you explain that? Why they say that in the Old Testament? I, I have to go look at the verse where you're at. It's Deuteronomy 22, 28, 29. Because what you're reading to me doesn't sound like scripture. Well, Deuteronomy 22, 28 verse 29 if a man is caught in the act of raping a young woman who is not engaged he must that. pay let's 50 pieces of silver okay, okay i mean yeah i'm throwing that one out i know you don't have it in, you know i mean you're not a computer i know you can't look it right no. up you know it's you know no. i got that um hang on deuteronomy 22 28 verse uh 20 deuteronomy 22 verses 28 20 uh, through 29 
I mean, some of these people got some pretty good questions in here, and, we, and they're not trying to criticize the Bible. They just have these Where that, you know, are on their hearts. Excuse me. Let me let me read that to you. Now, let me read you what it really says. Okay. Okay. If a man find a damsel that is a virgin, which is not betrothed, right, and uh-huh. lay hold on her, and lie with her, and they be found, they be found, not he be found for raping her. So whoever wrote that, you know, where they got that, that's a distortion. The man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her, and he may not put her away all his days. A man shall not take his father's wife because of his father's skirt. So if a man find a damsel that's a virgin, so he's laying, he's having sex with a virgin, he's not married, engaged to her. And they be found. They be found. Okay. So whoever wrote that needs to go get a real okay. Bible if they think they're All right. Yeah, right. You know, he's reading from those versions nope. that you told. Okay, I got you on that one. All right, yeah. All right, you know, no, that, that's fine, you know. Yeah, and people do that. But, you know, so that's the problem, though. A lot of these people are reading these new modern Bibles, and that, and that distorts the words. So I'll back you up on that one. That's not a problem with that <laughs> one. <laughs> and listen, bro, it, it, it's, it's a, a misinterpretation. Of, of scripture and you know I, gave, I sent you something by Ronald Reagan and I had wished that you had played that because I would have answered his, some of the questions that, that these folks are asking I can play, I'm going to play it at the end yeah yeah, yeah because but, I um, that's a uh, yeah well you know the problem is though is that we come into this time you, you know you always say we're passing through and a couple of people have a problem with that with your Easter sermon you know we're passing through and the world's going down you said devolution you know and, and well, well how you, but nobody knows the end hang on let me finish now let me finish you know we're coming through the end on. times if 300 years ago or 2,000 years ago if we all believed that Peter then you know we would have never Jesus you know things how you know we have to live you know I, we can't live like that I mean we just say oh well you know the world's going to hell in a handbasket you know, hey, <laughs> you know, all we got to do is just believe in the You're Lord right. and preach the gospel and, you know, the heck with everything else, right? I mean, you know. You you are so right. No, no, we, we don't lay down for evil. Don't you see the movement that's going on right now? Men like you and, and, and my treasurer, um, people are running for office as Christians. They, they want to put this evil down that's going on, teaching our children the, the most immoral things, taking the power away from parents. Hiding the trend, teaching your kid, letting your kid dressing them as a girl in school, and not telling the parents, yeah. and changing them before they get this. This evil is. This is not about right and wrong. This is about good and evil. No, we don't just lay down. It's time for Christians to stand up. But we need to make sure our hearts are right, and we need to pray. And God said He'd bless us, and God will bring forth that He can give this nation a reprieve. But if this nation doesn't turn around, brother, God's going to judge it in a foul way, and and it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. Yeah, but what you know, can a Russian, Christian do? Our, we have to. You our, go to Romans thirteen; they throw in our face. You know what can we do? Well, what we can do is we can stand up for what's right. And listen, we have a right to vote. Get them out of office. Throw them out. Yeah. If they were liberals, want to live that life in that way, send them to the state of, send them to California where they live in that way. Yeah. Get up out of the state of Connecticut. Get up out of these other states. Listen, the, these politicians shouldn't even have a. Uh, 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 an, an indefinite term. There should be term limits, and you're out. You know, they bled this country. The you know Obamas and, and Bushes and the Clintons and 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 uh, uh, these and the uh, 
this the Cheneys and Biden, these people have bled this country, stole our money, won't let you build a wall yeah. on the border or go over to Saudi Arabia and build one. Listen, it's, it's time for Christian people that are, are, you know, to wake up. Never mind the woke crowd. It's time to wake up in America. You, you, yeah. You're going to find yourself a third world nation pretty soon if you're not careful. Well, that one guy points the Genesis creation account is merely borrowed from the ancient Near Eastern myth. The Babylonian, Babylonian creation account, Enuma, uh, Elish, and various other ancient cosmologies, stories of world origins were adapted by the Hebrews to fit their religious views and form the Genesis account. Genesis is just more familiar to the Western world because it is, its stories are preserved in the Bible. The scripture's creation account outlasted the many others through an evolutionary process of survival of the fittest. Though biblical uh, monotheistic faith is no longer so fit for the public discourse in the in the West today, you know. Um, well, so and, and I see what he's trying to say here, you know. But go ahead. So do I. Here's first of all, he, he's, he's historically incorrect because take Hammurabi. Hammurabi has a code of over 500 laws from the Middle East, and Hammurabi's code is still engraved in stone. And by the way, he's listed as uh, in the Battle of the Five Kings in the book of Genesis. So this is, this is the problem, see? You have secular men who have no spiritual wisdom, and they want to teach you something. You spend $60,000 for an education, they can't even tell you how to get to heaven. Well, well, one of the Gospels now, the Gospels, it is apparent that three of, the, of them resemble one another, and one does not. A brief time spent in any synopsis of the Gospels will indicate that Matthew, Mark, and Luke share a number of striking similarities. The synoptic problem is the name that has been given to the problem, uh, excuse me, the problem of why the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke look so much alike. Why are they so similar in content, in wording, and in the order of events found within them? You know, while these questions are important, hang on, while these questions are important, legitimate, and even helpful for accurate interpretation, the answers provided by those committed to the historical critical approach delegitimize the text by suggesting that some parts are historically accurate while others are not. It is hypothesized that the content common to Matthew and Luke, which they did not borrow from Mark, came from a literary uh, source that is no longer available to us. That purely hypothetical source has been called, um, um, it's it's called, I can't pronounce the wording here, but uh, scholars have pieced together all the parts where Matthew and Luke have similar content and differs from Mark and are marketing a new academic book called, um, uh, I can't can't pronounce that word again, but but again, let's close out here with this, this guy's comment is that he's not really asking a question. But if the problem they mean that there is some defect with the gospel account that they are historically inaccurate and unreliable because we cannot figure out who got their story from whom, then that is a different kind of problem, don't you think, Peter? He's incorrect. The synoptic gospels are written in a certain way, and they're written for certain individuals. And by the way, you can't tell what's over the cross of Jesus Christ unless you read all four gospels, okay, number one. Number two, Matthew is writing to the Jews, right? And and yeah. in it, you have a genealogy. 
all right? Luke has a genealogy. The genealogies are not the same. Why? Because one's Mary's side, one's Jesus' side, you see? And so one's proving he's a king because the Jews want to know who their king, uh, they're concerned about the king. That's the king of kings, Jesus Christ, and that's Matthew. Luke is, is, is talking about the son of man. There's Mary's genealogy, you see? Mark is written to, primarily to the Romans. Why? Because they're interested in, in servants, as a servant, John is written from the perspective of, and now wait a minute, I'm going to give you one, one other thing to think about here. John's written, portrays Jesus as the son of God. Now, that's the reason. Now, the difference in the accounts is this. Mark talks about straightway. So say in one gospel it says that crazy men had gatherers. One, one gospel records one. Well, was that a contradiction? Well, Joe, if you and I and three other guys are playing cards, and I say last night I played cards with Joe, is that contradicting the truth? No. If Joe was not there, it would be. If Joe was not there, it would be. Well, that's right, if you weren't there. But you were there. I just didn't mention you. It wasn't necessary. So then why wouldn't you mention me, though, then? You see, that's the case, eh? Well, what happened? (laughs) Hey, last night I played cards with Joe. You know, Joe and I, Joe and I went out and play cards. All right? It doesn't what about the book of Enoch, out. real quick? What about the book of the Enoch? Book of Enoch. The book of Enoch's a fraud. The book of Barnabas is a fraud. And by the way, in the first century, there were over 1,300. Actually, there was thousands of them. But over 1,300 that I could possibly identify for you that were uh, uh, called pseudepigraphical books. And pseudepigraphical books were books that were written. You see... Uh, they were written in the apostles' name, but the apostles didn't write it, the Acts of Peter, the Acts of Barnabas, and those things. They were written by men. Listen, Satan's job from the beginning is to destroy the word of God. The question isn't what did God do. It's, yea, has God said? What did God say? If you can water down the word of God, which the NIV, RSV, the message, and all these new Bibles do, the intent is to destroy the content of the word of God, to, to draw the people of God away from God. Yeah, the well, they were all written by men, Peter. They were all written by men. They were just inspired yeah. by the Holy Ghost. And the Bible holy men who were moved of God through the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, yes, God uses men as an instrument. He always has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I mean, have a problem with that yet. Okay, so, so that's not the problem. So here's Jesus. Now, I'll give you an example. Jesus reads, it's recorded, Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah. And he says, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ear. Jesus didn't have an original manuscript. It was written 750 years B.C., long before Christ shows up. So there is scripture, and it is preserved, Psalm 12, 6, and 7. God says he'll preserve his. his. Now now go to your IV and look up uh, verse Psalm 6 and 7, uh, Psalm 12, 6, and 7, and what you're going to find is verse 7 says where it says that God will preserve his word, God will preserve them. All the new Bibles changed to thou will preserve us, Israel. So now you don't know that he's preserving his word. See, the doctrine yeah. of the preservation of God is destroyed. And so there's more to it than just it's a footprint. And, uh, you know, if, if, if they really want to learn something about manuscripts, go get Gail Ripplinger's book, New Age Versions, by Gail Ripplinger. It's a simple, laid out, easy to understand. And you'll see Satan's footprint all over these new Bibles. It's to well, get we shouldn't rid of. have to go to yeah, but we shouldn't though, because then I, now, you know what I mean. We should stick to the Word of God, like you said. I mean, you see, you're contradict. That's being contradictive. You know, we shouldn't have to go listen, no, you know, no, or read saying, other things. You I, know, 
I'm saying that she's pointing out from the Word of God, but she's also showing you the comparison of why these new versions are, are different and what the difference is. And then when you read that, you say, oh, yeah, look at when I'm comparing it with my Bible, Scripture with Scripture. It doesn't yeah. say that. But when you take out the three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, you remove that from the Bible. You say there's three that bear witness on the earth, the blood, the water, Right and the spirit, but then when you get to the the three that bear witness in heaven, they removed it from those Bibles. They took out the yeah. Trinity. Oh yeah, you see, and yeah. the purpose behind it. When you teach people, like I just showed them in Acts, where you with Philip, when you teach people, they can get saved by water baptism. You're stealing a soul, because the only way you can get saved is that the man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and yeah. and you see, so that's a lie. And that'll get a man sent to hell. Somebody's going to end up in hell if they think they're going to get saved by getting baptized in water. Yeah, 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 it's true. And, and so this is this is takes spiritual wisdom to understand this, and it takes study. And most people are lazy. They don't want to do the hard work. Oh, that is true, yes. You know? Yes. But, we have, but it's not just laziness. It's that we have more distractions today than we had years yeah. ago. We have more, you know, I mean, true. so we can't, you know. True, but here's another thing. Here's one way I could tell your whole listening audience. This is this is how you can. God's not going to hide his son from you. If you want to know Jesus Christ, then go to God and say, God, if your son is Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to reveal him to me. I'm sincere about it. And you know what? God's going to reveal him to you. And if he doesn't, then you know what? I'm a liar. You better keep doing what you're doing. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're not here to try to convince people, everybody, that do believe in God. You know, we'll answer your questions, but I'm just saying we're not here trying to prove anything, not trying to prove. But they have, some questions are valid, and I get that, you know, and I don't have a problem with that as long as you keep it clean. And that's why I'm, not, I'm being careful with taking live calls because I, I don't want, you know, it's happened too many times in the past where people will call in and, and you just get jerks on here that just take away from the whole simple discussion, you know. So, um, And I respect I respect an opposite opinion. I think everybody's entitled to it. Uh, I don't think uh, you, nobody has – listen, we live in America. Believe what you want to believe. <laughs> you know, what I tell my people in the school, in the Bible Institute, believe what you want to believe. Just believe what I taught on the exam or you flunk. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, yeah, and that's yeah. that. But, but you can – you know, we have soul liberty. Soul liberty is something God's given us. But truly, the proper way to read the Bible is – as you know, historically, doctrinally, spiritually. There are three applications mm-hmm. to this book. Doctrinally, you know, are we in the Old Testament, New Testament, millennium, tribulation? Where, uh, you know, spiritually, every scripture can apply to you spiritually. You, you, you can apply it to yourself, to the world. And so we're, we, listen, it defies uh, human reasoning to think that we just crawled out of a slime pit. Okay. Yeah. It defies reason. It's the old saying, you know, you don't walk down the street and find a watch and say, look what grew out of the sidewalk. You know, there's an intelligent designer behind it. And when you do reverse engineering, science is teaching that the world is millions of years old. But the logic behind it is this in reverse. Dembski wrote a book on reverse engineering, and you should read it. But the sun is reduced every year by a certain amount. And and of 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 uh, substance, uh, okay. And if it was a million years old, 
in the sun because it would have been that big to get the size it is today. It's just like, the, you know, the moonshot. And on yep. the eagle, they put the long legs because they said cosmic dust, we know cosmic dust falls at a certain rate on the earth. The physicist has figured it out. And so they said when, we get to the, when they get to that moon and they step out, we're going to be buried yep, up They're going to cut us off here yeah. pretty soon. So we got. So I want to give that 10-minute uh, uh, curtain call here, I guess you could say. Um, anybody who has a quick question, you can do it now, 657-383-0616, or a comment. You can do it. Press the number one on your keypad. I'll get you on, on screen uncensored. Other than that, Peter, um, uh, you want to pray us out or make any final comments, uh, let's do it. I do. I, I just want to finish that thought. So when the lunar lander landed, they stepped out. You know how much dust was there? Just a footprint. I don't know. Yeah. Well, just a footprint. It shows that the Earth is not that old and the universe isn't. Okay. Common sense that. here. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to uh, invite your uh, listeners to uh, come back. And I'd like to come back another time uh, that you have me and. And, uh, you know, I let them pick a subject, and I'd certainly like to address it. If they want to pick a subject during the week, call you, and, uh, you know, I can find Well, what do you think about this idea? What do you think about this idea? I'm going to throw this at you. Uh, Something along those lines where the audience, because I get a couple comments here where that were negative because, you know, you guys didn't get to interact, where they want to interact. But if we're going to do that, they have to do it through me because we can't have the live nonsense. You know what I mean? You know? You know, it has to be, it has to go through me because we can't just take random, unless I know the caller, because some of these callers, you know, I've already knocked three of them off because, you know, while you were preaching, I was, you know, screening some callers and, uh, you know, I, I can't get jerks on here that are going to swear, use foul language and, uh, you know, make, you know, with that, you know, you know what I'm talking about, you know, from the past and everything. Yeah. We can't have that, you know. Well, Satan's got yeah. people everywhere. <laughs> Who do you think's trying to interrupt your program? You're talking about the Lord and... You know, yeah, yeah. So it would have to be an interaction. Go through me, unless I can verify the number. You know, and I I know who you are. You know, like there's I know I got a lot of fans out there that have called in many times throughout the years. Of course, you guys can call in and press one. I know who you are. You know, I know you're not going to do something stupid. But uh, you know, some of these private you know, callers the- that want to call in, you know, that's go through me. And then, what do you think about that, Peter? I I think that's fine. You know, the people need to be respectful because you know. I, when I come on this program, uh, uh, church members come on, women and children come on, and they have their family sit down and they listen to this program and they tell yeah. other people and people around the country and in England and, and in Ireland, are, you know, people are listening uh, down in El Salvador and people go back and they archive this and it's just not it's it's not proper for why are subject to our children and and our women to that kind of uh, foul language? Yeah, we're not trying. We're, yeah. We're not, uh, you know, uh, uh, unregenerated here. I mean, you know, it's, you want to have a clean program. I like to come on and have a clean program. I, I realize yeah. you give everybody a platform and everybody the right to speak, and that's a great thing, and I admire you for it. And, and by the way, you know, I don't know if, the, if your uh, listeners know that you're running for office, and uh, uh, they should if they don't know. Uh, you need to contact Joe, uh, and, and you need to uh, give him some support help them out if you can help them out financially you know hey listen a dollar you know give up a cup of coffee three bucks at dunkin donuts out here in new england send them three dollars it'll help him with uh get into office and if he can get into office he can bring some christian values that's what we're looking oh, yeah. to do and so yeah. i'm not soliciting that's, what, that's his, most definite yeah that's most definite I'm not yes, we need you know 
I'm not soliciting for his campaign. But listen, he's doing what's right. And you know what? There's a lot of men in the world that use these platforms to do what's wrong. And so uh, it takes a lot of fortitude to get up and put your life on the line and on hold and to go run for office. And he's done that. And he's done that as a Christian man. And so I think we, we need to respect that. And so uh, if, if you can, you know, you should contact Joe personally. I can't say, you know, that I'm, I endorse any candidate because then I, I'm in a problem. But you know what? Yeah. I, I believe in my brother. I believe in my brother, Joe. I believe what Well, let me say this, Peter. Let me say this real quick. Let me just interject here real quick. What you just said right there, I appreciate greatly. Thank you for that. And what Peter's saying, uh, Dr. Peter Ventura is saying is so wholly true. But it's not about the money. It's donating money. You know what? If you're on the computer, you know what? They do news stories about me. Uh, just, well, just just on Channel 12. You know what? Go under the comment section on Facebook. Some people don't have social media. I understand. But if you're on social media, go under the – let other people see that people are out there supporting me. So the momentum. Use Satan's system. Use the anti-crisis that Peter was discussing and describing earlier, the cherub there, and, and Satan as a man. Satan's a man, and he's using – you know, let's use their system in a godly way and use it against them. And, you know, flip the script, like they like to say on the street, you know, flip the script against them and use their narratives against them. And let's see, you know, use that persona and that perspective that, hey, Joe's got a lot of support because there's a lot of fence sitters out there that don't know which way to go. And that's what we're trying to do and reach them through and bring them to Christ, too. And that's what the purpose of this show was. Go ahead, Peter. Well, you know, and I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to come on. I've always enjoyed your listening audience. I enjoy you know, interacting with them. There's some Sarge and all those people, you know, there's some great people out there and I respect them. And, you know, we've always had various and different opinions and you've allowed me to debate some people from the black Jesus to evolutionists to the oh, Urantia, you know, <laughs> to the flat earth. Remember people. that one. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Urantia book, the flat earth people. Uh, I mean, we've, we've had some great debates, you know, we've left, some people left mad, some people left happy, but you know what, we've always been uh, done it, tried to do it in a respectful way. And, and you know, to edify people, not educate, because when education you're not taking with you, and edification will last you a lifetime, you know, eternally. So uh, this is all I can tell you. I, I, you know, I believe the book. I can't disprove the book. I've tried. So that's, that's the end of that. But let me pray us out, Joe. Yeah, yes, please. And I'm trying to find that, that what you sent me. I just lost, closed it out by accident there, what you said you sent me. I wanted to play that here at the end here. Darn it. All right, maybe I can find it before uh, as you pray us out. Go ahead. All right. Holy Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity to come forth tonight and for you doing that, which I could not do. That was a very hard lesson to teach tonight. And, and it's uh, problematic for me, and I'm grateful, Lord, that you that you uh, allowed me to speak. And I ask you, God, that you touch the hearts and minds of the people and the listeners, Lord. And, God, that you would uh, reveal yourself to those who are uh, backslidden, those who are unsaved, those who are listening and really have a true heart to know something about you. And I have a serious interest, God. And, uh, and bless this listening audience and uh, this program. And we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh... Uh, right as you were closing out here, I've got the uh, Ronald Reagan archives here, uh, uh, what you had sent me here is loading now. So uh, yeah, just uh, give me a synopsis real quick of that while we got time what, what, that you sent me here. I'm hoping it's pulling up, it's loading. But You know, I, uh, from, from time to time, people send me things of interest. Some of it's, you know, high stuff bowl and some of it's not real. You know, some of that stuff on Rumble you got to watch. And, but it, this was something somebody sent me that Ronald Reagan had said 
about the Bible. And uh, I found it uh, astounding, you know, when you hear our president say something, you know, like that. And I know he was, uh, uh, you know, he went out with dementia, but the truth is it's profound. And if you can load that up, that'd be a great thing. I think yeah, no yeah I don't have the video. I've got the script. You sent me this. You didn't send me the video. I, I, I got the script. Of the, I got the transcript of it. You didn't give me the video no. of it. That would have been great to have a video. You know, unless you know. sent it to me. No, you didn't send it to me. I don't have the video. I got the transcript of it, though. So I'll read it. Uh, some of this stuff, it's pretty good, actually. Well, you know. but, what's that? It's below that. If you go below the transcript and it says President Ronald Reagan on modern versions, and then there's a bar on the bottom. Well, you got to do that. No, I got all links. I got all links right here. It says, it says uh, right here, it's got... President Reagan on modern versions, it says Bible versions, and then it's got the right, it says all in right writing, and then I got a bar. Oh, okay, I see it. You're right. Okay, yep, I got it right here. All right, all right. Well, see, I'm, you gotta remember, I'm doing 80 different things here. I got callers, I got. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna play this to wrap us up here. Let's I'll get this going here and uh, play this. Uh, and, uh, uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks for the people that you brought on with you. Uh, I, I saw a lot of 203 Connecticut numbers up there listening. I saw a couple California numbers, so I don't know if that was you or not. But, uh, I mean, you're people from out in California. But uh, thanks, you guys, for listening. And, listen, be shy next time. You know, press 1. Make your voice archived on the uh, platform. Because, listen, like Peter said, this show's archived. And your words will last for until the rapture. (laughs) You know, it'll be here. And somebody can benefit from them. Somebody can benefit, like Gio there. Uh, it's good to hear Gio's voice on this platform. That was great that you brought him on to pray, pray us in. And, and I don't want to disclose any personal information about Gio, but Gio, uh, if he's listening right now, his testimony, it would be awesome to bring on this show, to give his testimony on how he was brought to Christ and his history and what he's been through. I'm not going to disclose it because it's not my right to do that right now. But if he That's could tell his program. story, that would be great. That's a good program, just to allow men to come on and women just to give their testimony. Yeah. You know, everybody yeah. up a 10-minute testimony. Uh, even longer. You well, know? Geo's might take a little bit longer than that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'd give him 30, 45 minutes to tell his story, you know. I mean, I, I mean, from what he wants to disclose. I mean, I'm telling you, it'd be powerful, and a lot of people listen that uh, could really benefit from it, you know. Especially young guys. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Fire, fire Ronald Reagan up. The listeners are going to. I'm going to fire it up it. right now, everybody. God bless the Republic. And uh, we'll close out with Ronald Reagan. God bless America. What would you say if someone decided that Shakespeare's play is too thick and long, the music of Beethoven could be rewritten and improved on the right back? Writing in the Journal of the Alternative, Richard Hanson, author of The Law of the Prophets, and Jesus, What Manner of Man Is This, has called attention to something that is more than a little mind-boggling. It's my understanding that the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, has been the best-selling book in the entire history of printing. Now, another attempt has been made to improve it. I say another because there have been several fairly recent efforts to, quote, make the Bible more readable and understandable, unquote. But as Mr. Hansen so eloquently says, for more than three and a half centuries, its language and its images have penetrated more deeply into the general culture of the English-speaking world and been more dearly treasured than anything else ever put on paper. He then quotes the irreverent H.L. Mencken, who spoke of it as truly a literary work, and said it was probably the most beautiful piece of writing in any language. 
They were, of course, speaking of the authorized version, the one that came into being when the England of King James was scoured for translators and scholars. It was a time when the English language had reached its peak of richness and beauty. Now we have the Good News Bible, which will be in, quote, the natural English of everyday adult conversation. Well, I'm sure the scholars and clergymen supervised by the American Bible Society were sincerely imbued with the thought that they were taking religion to the people with their Good News Bible. But I can't help feeling we should instead be taking the people to religion and lifting them with beauty of language that has outlived the centuries. Mr. Hanser has quoted from both the St. James Version and the Good News Bible some well-known passages for us to compare. A few thousand years ago, Job said, how possible are right words. The two translators would have him saying, honest words are convincing. That's only for openness. There is a passage, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Is it really an improvement to say instead, the wiser you are, the more worries you have, the more you know, the more it hurts? In the New Testament, according to Matthew, we read, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way. The Good News Version translates that into, someone is shouting in the desert, get the wrong way. It sounds like a straw boss announcing lunch hours over. The warningly beautiful 23rd Psalm is the same in both versions, for a few words. The Lord is my shepherd. But instead of continuing with this, I shall not walk, we're supposed to say, I have everything I need. The Christmas story has undergone some modernizing, but one can hardly call it an improvement. The wondrous words, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, has become, don't be afraid, I'm here with good news for you. The sponsors of the Good News Version boast that their Bible is as readable as the daily paper, and so it is. But do readers of the Daily News find themselves moved to wonder, quote, at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, unquote. Mr. Hanser suggests that, sadly, the tinkering and general horsing around with the sacred text will no doubt continue as pious drudges try to get it right. It will not dawn on them that it has already been gotten right. This is Ronald Rankin. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.